0: Listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Brankham and Today we have with us two very special guests. Firstly, Dick Clark, founder of Enviratexture and accredited building designer who has played many roles over the years. He was the Director of Sustainability and past president of the New South Wales chapter of Building Designers Australia. He is a past president and board member of the Association of Building Sustainability, assesses the AB, ABSA, and is a founding author and editor of the acclaimed Your Home series recently released in its Sixth 20th year anniversary edition. Wow. And then we also have David Baggs, CEO, technical director and co-founder of Global Green Tag. David Baggs has provided leadership within the profession and industry for more than 45 years by engaging during most of the time in sustainability, educational advocacy and facilitation of professional outcomes and design excellence. David has used his deep architectural, scientific, and sustainability knowledge garnered in in that time with the profession to create a useful industry-wide tools and educational content for green design-focused architects, designers, and other professionals. And they both have one thing in common. This year they won the, or co-jointly, I guess is, is the term we could use, um, the Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Sustainability Awards, um, held by Architecture and Design Magazine. So, with all that, welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, David Bags and Dick Clark. Thanks, Branko.
1: Thank
2: you, Branko.
0: So, firstly, can I ask both of you um, how do you feel about winning this award?
2: After you, Dave.
1: <laughs> um- Look, it's 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 a great honour, and it was particularly uh, an in, uh, particularly enjoyable um, event to win it with uh, uh, alongside Dick, who you know is is a long time uh, sort of um, warrior in, in the field. We've known each other for a very very long time. Probably don't really want to think about how long it really is, Dick. What do you? <laughs>
2: well, I remember. Um... The first time I met you was at a small practice Upper North Architects meeting uh, somewhere on the Lower North Shore and and you had a reputation for designing fairly radical earth-covered houses at the time and and you wore a suit and tie, which was a little bit unusual amongst that uh, group of people. And I, and I remember saying, for a bloke who designs such a radical architecture, why do you dress conservatively? And he said, your, your answer at the time was, Uh, Because when you do radical architecture, people won't take you seriously if you look like a hippie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it was a very strategic move. Yeah. Very strategic. Mm. It worked. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely (laughs) We did. We did uh, over 35 earth-covered structures and schools, museums, that sort of thing. So it it wasn't until I actually started working I'm um, doing embodied carbon calculations for the Olympics that uh, projects that I actually realized that um, we had to do those sorts of buildings very differently to be able to get the sort of payback in time, you know, the embodied energy payback adequately. So we, uh, we changed direction. Hmm. That's called
2: evidence-based decision-making, isn't it?
1: Yes. Science-based metrics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to say guys, uh, you're the first joint winners of of the, of the lifetime achievement awards, um, and, and and there is a, there was a reason for that because you know the separating both of you became impossible with your achievements. But do you think that's how I this? Is that a, that's a really good message, isn't it? Um, the fact that the fact that for the first time we've had such a plethora of talent and experience. Uh, that we couldn't actually separate the, the, the two joint winners. You, that, that's you think that perhaps that, that's a, that bodes well for the future is what I'm asking?
2: Um, well, look, the, the first thing that struck me was that I'm too young to to get a lifetime because so far as I'm concerned, and, and nature may have, the universe may have different ideas about this, so I might get it by bus tomorrow, but that I do not intend to have rule on in my lifetime yet. And I'm pretty sure David doesn't either. And by the look of what he's doing, that's, uh, um, you know, very true. So, um, but, but I mean, I, you know, as I said, it, it, it was a great honour and and to be recognised, I guess, by our peers in that way is terrific. But, but as, as I said at the time, um, there is still so much to be done and, and where even COP twenty eight just this last week or so has shown how far off achieving any kind of control over global heating we actually are. Um, that you know we we are still it's still like herding cats, and um, so I, I would like to think that that it, in future years it would be an even more difficult choice between people because there will be even more people rising up and getting loud about what we need to do to make this planet both survivable for humans and respectful of every other species and system that we're part of
1: i guess that's the that's the bit that sort of that i hold out most hope for in, in as much as <clears throat> it was 1974 when i read the uh, club of Rome's limit to growth that actually changed my whole perspective on life and and you know i made a commitment to you know trying to change the trajectory but you know in those days there were very very few people on the ground you know you could literally count you know uh, groups of people on hands and toes as they were coming together uh, now we have a whole industry we have, we have whole segments of society committed to those kinds of um, actions and the realization that it isn't all about climate, that this is just a, climate is actually a symptom. The real um, issue is the fossil fuels and loss of biodiversity. Uh, so uh, to turn the climate message on its head and start talking more about nature and other um, organisms that have just as much right to survive as we do, um, that message has changed radically just in the last 12 or 18 months. We're not, we, we're, the, the talk about, at COP is fine because that's a process, but the huge um, reworking of that message into a, a nature-positive message is a, is, is, is a very significant, mm-hmm. uh, very significant uh, change in the way we're considering those bigger issues.
0: David, uh, over your many years um, with work with Global Green Tag, do you think, and with what you just said, do you think that changing the way we do business is becoming harder or easier in terms of uh, environmental accountability?
1: No, Look, I think it's 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 become progressively easier and, and in the last even the last 12 months since, since we've sort of, uh, I think we've, we've re-platformed a lot of our thinking since COVID uh, reanalyzed what's important. And just um, the other thing is that we just have all of these calamities coming down the pipeline at us that are actually finally starting to have an impact on people's psyches. And, you know, you do have people already being washed it out of their homes in in, in Bangladesh and uh, in, in low-lying countries in the Pacific. Uh, so all of these you know things that we've been told are going to happen are actually happening and people are, are starting to take note and that that's the difference. you know've we've, we've actually got past a point where it's theoretical and the, the only sort of, you know it's not only but the the, the forces, that work against this have commercial interests and you know they have massive resources to bring you know false information and fake information and self-interest just naked self-interest to bear as we're witnessing in uh, in cop 28.
2: Yeah it's interesting I was just thinking about um uh every few days I I spend a bit of time cruising YouTube to to see what what is out there and uh, it's interesting. You, when you do that, you have to reset the the search parameters. Um, otherwise, it it does that classic algorithm echo chamber thing where you just keep getting the same more and more of the same thing because you clicked on it once. So you have to kind of um, go out and, and come back in afresh. But it's interesting that the 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 number just as an example of of that vested interest thing, David. The the number of EV hate um, channels that are have popped up in the last I've noticed in the last 12 months and and even um some commentators on on vehicles that uh were previously quite enthusiastic about their own EV and 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 re- reviewed things quite well suddenly have have turned and I uh, you know it turned into a full on EV hate session now I know EVs are not the answer to sustainability by any means so let's not get go down that rabbit hole but it's an indicator that um that there are Things happening out out there that that are always trying to to work against change for the better, and um, and and you do have to, I think, kind of follow the money and and drill into you know where do those messages come from, and and I think some of that at COP twenty eight was was quite clear um, where some of those things were coming from, and and yet there were also signs of hope at COP twenty eight that that it you know it wasn't all. Um, I mean, the outcome wasn't good, we, you know, as yet isn't looking like it's going to be what we need. But um, there were some players there who have shifted ground. So the fight's, yeah, look, the fight's not over and, and it's just something we we have to keep working at and, and follow the money trail. So where we find opposition to moves towards sustainability to ecological support and regeneration, just follow the money through those trails of opposition and, and find out what their real motives are.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and I follow, I find it, you know, very easy to, you know, kind of look into the pit of despair and, you know, be tempted to go down that kind of self-wallow, you know, woe wo- is us kind of mentality, but I just refuse to let myself go there. And, and actually you know, quite consciously go to the other side of things and say, no, we just have to redouble our efforts. We actually have to change the way we think, change what we do, get the message out more clearly and, and be more effective change agents providing. And that's really the role that Green Tag plays is we provide the tools for people by delving into deep science to be able to make the choices very simply based on real science and, 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 and valid metrics. Um, without them having to do all the work so I mean ultimately you know that that's been my solution or our solution to um, you know that that you know being the change agent is facilitating others to be their own change it was
0: an interesting thing you said you said Dick, um, that evs aren't, aren't the answer. To sustainability, I've got to say that the yes, you're, you're right. The, the explosion, excuse me, of um, anti EV, anti Tesla, in particular, sites so is growing. Um, I didn't realise that Teslas could burn. Who knew? Um, I was going to say that. Um, you're, <laughs> well, you're-
1: just 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 as one point there, Franco. If you look at the Insurance Council of America, EVs across their entire platform are 26 times less likely to burn than any ice vehicle and even more than hybrid vehicles. So, so, you know, what we're witnessing there is, is deliberate misinformation um, and focused on the negatives to the, you know, for for commercial ends, let's just call it what it is. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just naked self-interest, naked financial self. It's not self-interest at all. We all live on this planet. So at the end of the day, it's, it's small-minded, narrow-minded people focused only on money and the self-generation of money for their companies um, that is 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 behind that. Companies or countries uh, um, is behind all that.
2: Hmm. Yeah, the there was a, a forum recently in the UK um, and there were a couple of car leasing companies. One was a government agency and another one was private. And, and I can't remember which one had 16,000 uh, EVs in their fleet and two and a half thousand ice vehicles remnant in their fleet that were being phased out. And the moderator uh, said, So, how many of your EVs have caught fire? And they said, None. How many of your ice vehicles have caught fire? And she said, Six. So, six out of two and a half thousand versus none out of 16,000. It's kind of, you yeah. know, so where, where's the hate? Well, it's coming from some other, uh, you know, yeah. concerns is trying to counter. A shift away from something they're making money out of and have capital invested in
0: Yeah, you know dick you are the former um head of head judge of the well former i so say you, you, you you've missed one year uh, we haven't actually shifted you out we just i used the word former <laughs> <laughs> i was going to say uh, you have been the head judge of the sustainability awards um how did you view this year, actually, in terms of with what you've just said and with you know, with the, with the benefit of, I think, a lot of a decade worth of hindsight.
2: Yeah. Well, look, it's interesting. So the the, the background, dear listener, <laughs> is that uh, this year I stood aside from the judging panel because I knew I was going to be spending three months out in the top end in Arnhem Land and places around there, and, and a little bit in the centre, and um, and that it was going to be impractical given the kind of communications that we have for me to actively. Um, well, be effective in, in the judging So I stood aside And so for that reason I didn't see the depth uh, Some of the backstories To this year's entries And so I'm probably Not really qualified To to sort of speak with 100% authority Other than to say I trust the judges To have got it right And, and obviously I know, you know Most of them uh, at some level And some of them really very well so I, I do trust them. So I, I trust that the outcome was what it should have been. Um, what, I guess, expanding your question to, to not just this year but to previous years as well, um, what I've noticed is that, um, okay, a, a little promo here for when you enter your project into the Sustainability Awards, uh, you cannot give us too much information but you can give us too much spin and Archie speak. So what we want is facts. <laughs> and if they're in dot point, even better because that helps people get their heads around them much more effectively than wading through waffle. So do not ever write waffle if you're submitting a design entry. Um, but what what we found is that over the the years, the information that people did provide where it was well provided was was very, very clear and was based on um, hard data and, and and as soon as we have hard data judging an entry it just it that entry just stands head and shoulders above any other that that uses you know sort of qualitative descriptors rather than quantitative and I know that runs the risk of reducing everything just to a series of numbers and so on but but um, it it just the the data doesn't necessarily have to be purely numerical. It, you know, there are other ways of of presenting the information about what a building is is doing and where it's come from. In in short, the, um, always getting better. The standard has improved and improved over years for sure.
0: I was going to say I like pictures. Too. Um, Dane, <laughs> um, you were on the um on the panel of the sustainability summit. Uh, you were a moderator, from memory. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's it's been over a month. My my, my brain working right <laughs> after the, the event. Um, are there many events like that in Australia, and, and should there be more, or, or or what what do you think they should be like?
1: There aren't very many events, no, uh, of a similar ilk. And there's certainly, um, I think there is always a case for showcasing good practice and best practice. And I take Dick's note very much, uh, comments very much to to heart from the point of view of those awards should be um, science-based. So more and more uh, focus on the, the, you know, at a product level, at a project level, at a company level, whether that's, you know, ESG reporting as we found the, you know, woeful, um, greenwashing that goes on in some sectors that the ACCC has been focusing on um, you know right through pro, you know architects who don't present data but waffle through to you know product manufacturers who whose websites and, and marketing is full of full of um, breaches of the Australian consumer law <laughs> it's quite Quite uh, radical how upset they get when we actually make the when we point that out, and all of a sudden, you know, it's our fault that um, that their marketing people are calling you know their products green uh, for no reason whatsoever. Anyway, uh, it, it helps to showcase best practice, and I think that's what awards do, and particularly if they've got good criteria and uh, and require
0: proof of the claims. What would you like to see in terms of carbon emissions moving forward? I mean, uh, nuclear nuclear, pro-nuclear dancing polar bears aside, um, you know, what would you like to see, and how do you think we could achieve this? I mean, here's here's the chance for both of you to to save the world.
1: We've kind of nailed our um, answer to that question well and truly to the mast recently um, because we launched our nature positive products um, standard and a nature positive declaration and transparency reporting process for products and manufacturers. So, I mean, ultimately what the message there is to manufacturers, do your best to minimize your impacts throughout your supply chain. And then when you actually realize that you've reached uh, the practical um, sort of uh, tipping point of you know benefit versus cost, then look at installing renewable energy directly onto your factories. When you can't do any more of that, then look at offsetting. But don't offset with renewable energy because it's doesn't need commercial encouragement anymore. It's already the cheapest form of energy provision bar none. So what we're saying is we also want to see not just because renewable energy offsets just reduce emissions and push um, but continue emitting but push the savings further down the line. What we're saying is we need to focus on offsets that draw carbon down from the atmosphere. So if you emit X, you take not just X back out of the atmosphere, but you actually go beyond that and make a commitment to redress some of the emissions of past years by going into the nature positive zone. And we do that by using the restoration of complex ecosystems. Yes, it includes trees. But more importantly, it includes the microorganism systems that exist within soils. Um, it ex- places like wetlands and uh, coral reefs. Basically, restoring carbon-absorbing biodiversity that takes carbon out of the atmosphere. It's a carbon capture storage technique. Um, but that actually one, works. That actually works. It's the only one we've got that actually works. And uh, there needs to be more focus on what goes on within the soil and underground. Um, It's not just about trunks and and leaves. It's actually about microorganisms in soil. Um, I actually went to a soil carbon um, conference a a month or or two back and I learned a lot. I, I, I guess I knew this, but it hadn't really bubbled to the surface. There's two kinds of microorganisms, the ones that sort of grow and, and, and absorb carbon to grow. but there's other microorganisms that when they absorb carbon, they excrete it as a carbonate mineral. So if we, there are now play, there are now seeds banks out there that sell seeds that are inoculated with the carbonate binding mineral microorganisms. So we can actually now use even agriculture, active agriculture, to bind carbonate minerals into soil. Um, by enhancing the microbiome within the soil with a particular kind of microorganism. So, like, there's lots of good science being applied to this problem, um, and we have to realise that we we can do more, not just with agriculture, but with livestock and with, you know, biodiversity conservation and restoration, regenerating nature. But we've got to the point where we need to actually start taking a proactive role and putting more back than we're taking out.
2: It's interesting because that that touches on regenerative agriculture, which um, uh, a couple of years after I was after I married my gorgeous wife, I said, "So when are we going farming?" And she said, "What?" Because <laughs> um, I'd, I'd always had an interest in farming and, and came from broadly farming families, and and, um, uh, and and so I've had an interest in in watching the the regenerative farming movement grow in recent years and and its contribution. To sustainability, I think, is very poorly understood by the uh, the National Party, for instance. Even though there are indeed groups within the um, the uh, like the National Farmers Federation and others who do get it, so that's that's uh, you know, an interesting touch point. But I, I can't directly affect that in my work. <laughs> um, what I what I can do is say that for the last probably thirty years, we've been doing buildings that are in their operational energy zero net carbon. Uh, okay, great. But it's only in the last sort of 10, maybe 15 at most, that we've started looking at the, the, the carbon embodied in the building. And obviously Global Green Tag has been one of the, you know, the great resources that's helped us as an industry to to handle that in ways that we know are accurate. So now it is possible to design and build a building that is nature positive um it's it's not easy to do that in in its entirety yet but it's it's not difficult to get very very close and and the closer we get the more often we get there the easier it will become so we, we've got a few projects at that have done this and and if i, I give a little shout out here because the one thing you didn't mention that i currently probably spend more time than anything else doing, Branco is um, with Renew, um, sitting on the board with a bunch of other great people and a whole bunch of great staff doing some amazing stuff there with Sustainable House Day and Sanctuary Magazine. These are tools that we use for, I guess, what is strictly um, peer-to-peer education. So, you know, sort of monkey monkey see, monkey do. You know, you, you walk into a house and you look at what's been done, you go, ooh, I can do that. And and that kind of lightbulb moment of I can do that is incredibly powerful, and and I don't think um, governments even appreciate the value of that in terms of you know if they can harness that to to uh, to, to sort of leverage their their policies around carbon and sustainability, um, I, look it's it's worth billions it really is. So peer to peer education through things like Sustainable House Day and, and Sanctuary Magazine and. And other similar things, and, and Melbourne's got the Open House Day, which you know doesn't necessarily require the building is totally sustainable, but but it you know it, it most of them are because they're heading in that direction. So those sorts of things uh, are really useful, and and so we've got both the means of achieving it from a design and construction point of view. Now we've got those tools, um, and then we just need to transfer that to the the will of the the market. And, and I use that term and what people listening to this podcast see can't see is my little fingers doing the uh, the classic uh, inverted commas quotation marks. But the market, I mean, let's just drill into that for a second. What is the market? Is it a series of cooker-cutter, van- vanilla-flavoured out people that all walk along in a straight line and, you know, turn left when they're told to turn left and turn right when it's, you know, like that's just not how it works. The market is a polyglot. It's It's a it's a kaleidoscope of different people with different motivations and needs and and you know, budgets and who knows what. So it's really important that that we capture everybody that we can on on that kaleidoscope. Um, and, and that's where peer-to-peer education is incredibly powerful because they might walk into, you know, if they go to Sustainable House Day, for instance, and which is back on in, in fully in the flesh this year, I should add. Um but, you know they might walk into one and go oh, yeah not my cup of tea but then they'll jump on the two of us and go to the next one and go oh yeah oh yeah I can do this bang you know you've nailed it
0: you you'll you both achieve will, will give awarded their lifetime achievement award but it's not because your 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 lifetimes times are over or or what, but it, your your scope of work is, is you know, your your opus magnus is um, amazing. But given your time again, um what would you do differently in terms of your roles and why?
2: You mean how many mistakes would you be happy to make again?
0: <laughs> you learn from those, right?
2: Well, you do. This is the thing. um I, I've often reflected on this, actually, because I, I look back and I think, gee, I've made some whoppers, but what did i learn from each of those a heap so if i hadn't made those mistakes would i know what i know now how would i you know and i would have made other mistakes maybe learned the same lessons in different ways who knows but but yes i think mistakes um are incredibly useful things and as long as they don't destroy too much on the way through uh, you know, I guess as, as long as we are the only ones hurt by our own mistakes and and not fatally wounded, so that we we have the ability to learn and adapt and change, then yeah, you know, risk a mistake. What's the problem?
1: Oh, I'd certainly echo that. You you make mistakes, you learn, you you, you grow, and you change. Um, I certainly had enough of that in my life. Um, I, I do think though that the one thing that i would do differently is probably you know study the change making actually be a more engaging and proactive um change change maker change manager we've made a lot of change to the industry by by doing stuff but you can do a lot more if you bring more people on board and bring them along with you and um uh, you know, we've facilitated a lot and and, and, and helped in that way and we've, I've certainly done a lot of education and and that sort of stuff, but I, it's been a technical, it's it's been at a technical level with other architects and and the rest of the profession. But I, I really think to, to give people in the, the impetus to want to change in their own lives um, is is something that I think is has been lacking. And certainly, you know, I mean, I got involved in politics for a while and and, and got elected as a local um, councillor. And the the thing that really strikes you in that context is the whole NIMBY, the whole, um, you know, not in my backyard scenario. It, it, and, and in fact, if you flip it round, you realise people only change or are willing to face and confront change when it affects them in their own backyard. And, you know, it's the um, increasing level of concern, concentric circles of, you know, beyond me, around me, beside me, on me, and in me as they're, you know, as they're increasing levels of concern. And so, you know, to to be able to have an impact on those by engaging change management, um, I guess it's psychology, I suppose, it would. I'm not sure, but anyway, that's that. That I think to be a to be a is, is what it would take to be a more effective change manner, change agent in my own mind.
0: It's change, really. isn't it? That's the, the the fear of change, rather. That's the biggest problem, isn't it, with all this?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, humans don't like change. They, you know, it's a rare a, a rare person who seeks that. Uh, seeks change so ultimately there has to be reasons for change there has to be enough incentive to change um, and it's it's putting the case before people with, with such with, with enough momentum to be able to break through the sort of everyday veneer of I'm busy I've got to you know get the kids here I've got to drive here I've got to do this I've got to get to work I've got to come home I've got to make dinner I've got to clean the house it's it's breaking through that I call it a veneer, but it's really, it's just life. The reality is you've got to still create enough momentum to be able to break through that. It's interesting, isn't it? I
2: was just thinking about uh, how we encourage people to get off gas, which is, uh, you know, another of our news programs at the moment. We've got this thing called the Getting Off Gas Toolkit to help people do it. And uh, uh, there are people who um, are very keen on cooking, which is great, Um, real foodies, and... I've heard any number of them say, yeah, look, I'm sorry, I'm happy to go away from gas hot water because I don't see that. All I see is the hot water come out of the tap, so I don't really care how it's made. But don't take away my gas cooktop because I like to do my, you know, flip of the pan stir fry or, you know, in, instant control on the whatever it might be. I mean, I, I can't cook much. I'm not much of a foodie, although I am a world champion and scrambled eggs. But... um and, and so scrambled eggs ha- require absolute precise control of temperature so you don't just turn them to rubber. Um, and so some years ago when we uh, ditched gas and, and went to induction cooking, I, I realised that I actually had more control over my scrambled egg temperature than I had with the gas. There was a lag time in the gas that I had learned to anticipate, but with the induction cooktop, that lag time uh, disappeared from sort of Eight to ten seconds down to about 0.8 of a second—a dramatic improvement over control—and and so being able to kind of say to someone, "Okay, you you really enjoy the precision of your cooking. Here's a change, but it's actually a change for the better." But they won't—they won't probably make that leap unless they try it. So once again, you know, it comes back to this kind of monkey see, monkey do. But one of the, one of the reasons that a lot of people do um, jump across from gas to I'm just using that as an example, is when it comes to cleaning. Everybody, no matter how much they love gas cooking, hates cleaning gas cooktops because they are so fiddly and messy and they're just, you know, disaster. And you show them an induction cooktop and you go, uh, you take your your wet X or your your, your Scotch-Brite and you wipe it and it's done. And they kind of go, ooh, ooh, yeah, I get that, you know. So there are ways and means of encouraging people to make change. If they can see something in it for them but when you present them with complex or potentially um, unsettling concepts um, about what they need to do to change you know they'll typically just kind of back right off and go oh no that's you know that's too scary
1: and i think dick there's a whole lot of hidden disincentives like literal barriers to conversions like the gas companies own the infrastructure I moved into an apartment building and I've just recently found out that the developer of the apartment building abrogated his responsibility of putting the electrical system. And the electrical system, as well as the gas system, are owned by the utilities company up to my light switches. The uh, hidden barrier where the utility companies own the infrastructure right up to the point of delivery and will charge you for it even if you're not using it because mm-hmm. they've got a cost recovery model going on. Plus, the developers have appointed utilities managers to sit in between, and you can't even influence how or where you buy your utilities from. That is such an insidious, and mm-hmm. it frankly, has to be stopped. And this is this bringing to my point. There is so much that we can do um, at a voluntary level or at an individual level by changing people's mind, hearts and minds and what, asking them to do more, but there is a must-be uh, role for government here, where um, industry won't change voluntarily. It will always take the easy road out, and where things are in the broadest public interest, particularly you know when we're facing an existential crisis like climate change and the mass you know. P- Plastic pollutions and stuff, as we are currently seeing with the current government, at least to some extent, there is a need to mandate by legislation particular outcomes and to make policy that says thou shalt. And, you know, mm-hmm. for the Victorian government to say, okay, no new gas, that's the only way it can happen. Mm-hmm. It has to happen across, it should be the federal government making those calls. If that was, and it is possible under under their environmental mandate it is possible should they choose to um, not to say it wouldn't be there wouldn't be it wouldn't have a fight on their hands but the reality is that government ha- it has a role to mandate outcomes that aren't going to happen uh, and that needs to
0: happen more often I've got to say gentlemen that that's got to be the most interesting conversation I've had for a very long time from making the perfect scramble leads to saving humanity um David <laughs> Steve, I would red tag. Dick Clark, founder of Aritecture and joint winners of the Revive Time Achievement Award at the Sustainable Awards this year. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to both of you. I could talk for hours, but we don't have hours. So but thank you very much. Thanks, Franco. Thanks, Franco. You've been okay. listening to Talking Architecture and Design and our interview with Dick Clark and David Banks. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.